0: down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, get 20, 20, get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com.
1: This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Window. Welcome, everyone, to this episode of New Books in Latin American Studies. Today, we're speaking with Dr. Jaime Pensado about his new book, Love and Despair, How Catholic Activism Shaped Politics and the Counterculture in Modern Mexico, just out from with the University of California Press in 2023. Jaime Pensado is Associate Professor of History at the University of Notre Dame, he grew up in Mexico City. His publications have appeared in multiple edited volumes, as well as in the journals The Americas, Mexican Studies, *Estudios Mexicanos, the Journal of the History of Childhood and Youth, and the 60s Journal. He is also author of the 2013 book Rebel Mexico, Student Unrest and Authoritarian Political Culture During the Long 60s. And with Enrique Ochoa, Pensado co-edited Mexico Beyond 1968, Revolutionaries, Radicals, and Repression during the Global 60s and Subversive 70s. Uh, Jaime Pensado, thank you for taking the time to talk to us.
2: Well, no, thank you. Thank you, Brad, for, for having me. It's an honor to talk to you about this new project that I have.
1: Great to talk with you. I wonder if we could begin by you telling us a little about the origins of this book and this research project. Uh, The book, once again, titled Love and Despair. What led you to researching uh, Catholic activism in Mexico during that pivotal period from the 1950s to the 70s and asking these particular questions about its intersections with politics and the counterculture?
2: Yes, yes. Thank you for that. Um, absolutely. So I think in many ways, uh, the book has taken many shapes and it has been reframed multiple times since I first conceived of the idea of uh, of just doing research on Catholicism, which I must admit I, be, I knew very little about when I began this project, other than the fact that I was uh, uh, born and raised, as you said, in Mexico City in a in a Catholic culture, if you will. Uh, But in terms of a a research project, I would say that the ideas uh, originated when I was doing research for my book, Rebel Mexico. Um, If you recall, in one of those chapters of that first book, one of the arguments that I make has to do with uh, 1968. And I talk about the different ways in which various sort of uh, sectors of Mexico's conservative culture, if if you will, uh, sort of came in support of the administration of Gustavo Díaz Ordaz, even in the aftermath of the Tlatelolco massacre. So I became fascinated as to the why. Why did so many people uh, find the need to sort of express, a certain degree of gratitude to a president who was ruthless and who yet committed a massacre and um, and while I was doing the research, I came across a wide range of sources uh, that I just couldn't talk about in that first book. So I started creating these sort of uh, folders of various Catholic perspectives that um, that also shaped what we are now historians of Latin America are calling the global 60s. At the time, we were referring it to it as, as the long 60s. And, uh, and one of the first sort of uh, research projects that I did in the aftermath of that first book was an article on, um, on one of the far-right movements that, he, that developed inside the UNAM campus and, and, and other universities across, Lat- across Mexico by the name of Muro, the uh, University Movement of Renovation Orientation, this sort of a right-wing movement that to a large extent felt compelled to sort of uh, respond to um, kind of that environment that developed in the aftermath of both the Cuban Revolution and the reforms of the Second Vatican Council and uh, so I wrote about that sort of that perspective uh, in, in, a, in a special issue of the Americas that Eric Solov put together sort of to provide a historical understanding, again, of this idea of the global 60s in the broader Latin American region. So I made a contribution in that sense with the argument that, um, that we cannot write about the global 60s unless we start kind of taking into consideration this these right wing voices, if you will. So it, my, my, my take on Muro was an effort to at least get us sort of uh, started with that discussion. And eventually um, I went ahead and, and, and wrote a different piece in Spanish that sort of looked at the other side of the spectrum of the Catholic perspective that is, uh, um, again, within this sort of broad term of the left, if, of the Catholic left, by taking a closer look at the uh, Movimiento Estudiantil Profesional, or MEP, that unlike the Muro, found the ideas of the Vatican II uh, uh, useful, they welcomed them, and in so doing, they kind of radicalized a, a Catholic sector, a lay Catholic sector, that was already operating in the, in the universities across Latin America. And of course, some of these members of Muro would eventually uh, join the, the Liga Comunista 23 de Septiembre, Mexico's largest guerrilla movement uh, that evolves in the aftermath, not only of the Tlatelolco massacre, but also of the Corpus Christi massacre. So, you know, I began with those stories, uh, but as I continue to do research on Catholicism and learn more about Catholicism uh, as a, and, its, and its multiple kind of uh, expressions I came to realize that oftentimes these sort of leftist or and or reactionary or right movements, the categories at times are useful, but not all the times. There was a lot in between that I wanted to write about, that I wanted to talk about. Uh, and, and to some extent, my book, Love and Despair, is an effort to sort of complicate that story and, 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 and get at the messiness of the multiple divergent Catholic movements that not only operated uh, during the global 60s, but the argument that I make is that they also shaped the global 60s. So I think that's sort of where the origin of the book is. Um, And I can elaborate on some of these things as we continue our conversation, but I want to give you a sense of of, of, of some of the uh, uh, first research that I did and some of the uh, general questions that I that I originally raised.
1: Thanks, Jaime. And you mentioned there how um, that then shaped uh, the global 60s, and this is a major component of your argument in the book. Um, could you just right up front maybe um, tell folks uh, what you feel is most important here in the book in terms of a, a contribution to existing scholarship on, on you know, the global 60s uh, or other relevant historiographical threads here and, and, and elaborate on that part about your main uh, arguments in the book. Yes,
2: absolutely. Thank you. Um, yes, so, you know, I think one of the original things about this book, but also what made it difficult to write, was the, the different scholarships that I, that I engage with, you know, um, and to put it in, a, in the most general terms, I think I tried to challenge and engage with two broad scholarships, right? One that is a, again, for the lack of a better term, you in, in the most general terms, It's a secular historiography that tends to be written from the perspective of the left, uh, that when writing about religion or about Catholicism, they often sort of talk about the church and and Catholicism as if it were a a monolithic movement, a monolithic institution. Um, They caricature those late movements that associate themselves uh, with religion, uh, and I found this literature very useful, uh, but at the same time uh, problematic, f- precisely because it does not sort of make the effort to create or to write a more nuanced uh, history that really kind of uh, allows us to see the various schisms, movements, ideologies that uh, that composed Catholicism during during the 1960s or the global 60s. So this is true of both the historiography of the global 60s, but also true of the broader scholarship of post-1940 Mexico. There's very little, in fact, written about Catholicism post-1940 if you were to compare it, for instance, to the attention that religion in general, and Catholicism in particular, have received uh, when we write or talk about the colonial period or of course, when we write or talk about the Cristero Rebellion, right? I want a reader often, probably finds it interesting to see how after 1940, the the Church and these Catholic movements as if they disappeared, right? But of course, the argument that I make is not only is that inaccurate, but 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 they were very very active throughout the post. War period and, of course, throughout the 1960s. So that's one scholarship that I sort of push back against or engage with. The other scholarship that I talk about and that I engage with is the one that I was less familiar with, and that is the Catholic body of work uh, that tended and that tends, although that's less true in most recent years, but that tends to talk about Catholicism almost exclusively in relation to the hierarchical structures of the church. So it's a it's a it's it's about a church, it's, it's about a history of the church or about specific figures within the church, but with little attention to grassroots movements, with the exception of those associated with liberation theology. Uh, so, you know, I I read I read that that scholarship, but realized that that the scholarship had paid very little attention to questions related to gender, questions related to sexuality, uh, questions related to, 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 to student movements, questions related to the counterculture, themes that I was most familiar with, youth culture, right? That's where I came from uh, since, since I started doing research for my book uh, Rebel Mexico. So I wanted to bring this broad, Scholarships together. I wanted to engage with them, you know, simultaneously in that sense, and in so doing, sort of push push the narrative right, push the narrative a little bit, and 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 and, 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 and ask questions. Well, what happens if 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 we now engage in a dialogue and bring these these two uh, historiographies together, uh, not only in the in the context of uh, of Mexico, because the other thing that I wanted to do with this book, and I think the contribution that I make, is that I place Mexico in the broader Catholic world in which the church always operated in, right? Uh, so, you know, my, the movements that I study, the people that I look at in the book are often operating in a very transnational context, oftentimes in relation to Europe and other times in relation to the Patria Grande, as it was called in Latin America during the 60s. You know, Latin America in that sense. So I'm placing these Catholic movements in this broader global network of movements, and therefore the, the insistence on this term, the global 60s. You
1: mentioned that, putting it in the context of that broader Catholic world, it strikes me that that's what comes out in, uh, sources from many of Catholic activists in that period. Just as you said, they're, they're talking about key struggles and other Latin American usually, but even beyond that, I mean, you, you, uh, made me aware of a 1957 conference in Nigeria, um, mm-hmm. that ended up being a kind of, um, starting point for uh some of these activists um but how did you get to that i mean um the sources used in this book are it's a remarkable range of them i mean that's one methodological thing that stands out to me the impressive and creative range of the sources used to produce a study that can do things like um examine the counterculture and its relation to catholicism So the source base is in part what makes us quite distinct from others on other studies on Catholic activism in that period, I think. Could you say something about sources?
2: Yes, yes, absolutely. And I think it goes, I mean, I'll I'll, I'll go back to something that I said earlier, right? By and large, if you look at books on post-1940 Mexico, You know, whether we are talking about cultural histories, political histories, or more specific histories of journalism, of more specific histories of film, you know, overwhelmingly if you look at the sources that these historians use, they don't necessarily look at Catholic sources, you know, and by that I mean as simple as journals, magazines, magazines that were widely circulated across Mexico during this period, right? So that was one of the first things that I wanted to look at. Uh, even, you know, something as as, as, as easily accessible as uh, the weekly La Nacion, right? The, the most important magazine of the National Action Party, the PAN, right? Uh, but you know, I'm also, I'm all, I also looked at uh, the main journal of the Social Secretariat Mexicanos, Secretario Social Mexicano, the magazine Contacto. I looked at the, at the Jesuit magazine Christus. I looked at various student journals and magazines ranging from Corporación, which was somewhat conservative in the context of the 1950s, the more progressive. Cuadernos del MEP, the more Latin American publications that were arriving from places like Montevideo, such as Vísperas, pés and others, Rumbo, Palestra, and many others that are kind of get at the voices of the university student who is um, kind of a key, uh, a key uh, actor in the stories that I tell. I try to kind of frame this Catholic, these histories of these Catholic movements with attention to youth. But I also looked at magazines such as Liberacion that, uh, that take a more radical approach towards Catholicism in the aftermath of the Medellin conference or Señal, uh, kind of a, 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 a magazine for, for kind of to reshape the understanding of the Catholic nation post nineteen forty Mexico that also talked about consumerism, that talked about culture, uh, and, and and things of that nature, uh, but also places like um, I looked at the uh, at the Carlos Septián García School of Journalism that uh, that educated many of these journalists and intellectuals that I talk about in the book. This was one of the first, as as far as I know, one of the first schools of journalism in latin america and it was uh it was created as a catholic space by people within the pan but also by people within catholic action uh that formed journalists such as gerardo medina who eventually publishes a very interesting book on the 1971 corpus christi massacred but it also uh Uh, gives a space to rising Catholic intellectuals such as Vicente Leñero that I I provide a a short biography of in the book. Uh, But then there's others, right? I mean, people like the Jesuit priest um, Enrique Massa, who comes out of uh, Christus and eventually becomes one of the founders of the militant leftist magazine Proceso. So I wanted to kind of to, to, to tell the reader that, you know, this, this, this Catholic intellectuals, journalists, and so on, uh, were very present, but not only in Catholic spaces. This is why I talk about Proceso, for instance, right? Uh, but I also, on the other side of the spectrum, I uncover magazines such as Replica and La Hoja de Combate that are more reactionary, more far-right publications in that sense, as well as documents, encyclicals. You know, I started to look, I started reading encyclicals, something that I, I never thought about doing, right, before. <laughs> so for the first time I find myself kind of reading this, right? Uh, but also documents that I could only find uh, outside of Mexico. And I'm thinking, for instance, the documents that I found fascinating and also very helpful when, in, uh, when I discussed student activism, documents that I eventually found in, in places like Quito that held the documents of SELAM, but also held the documents of the Latin American Secretariat, which was founded in Montevideo in the 1960s to bring together the two most important international Catholic movements, the MIEC, with origins in uh, in france and and, and and Europe and other places, and the heck or or the jec a a more progressive international Catholic movements and in Latin America, these two movements with origins in Europe and Canada come together to create the Latin American Secretariat in all of all places in Montevideo and produce Journals such as Víspera, Spes, in which you have uh, Mexican scholars and intellectuals kind of reading, including one of the, the directors of the cuadernos of the the cuadernos of the Latin American secretary is Francisco Merino, a a, a Catholic activist from Mexico. So I started doing, I started reading these documents that I could only find in places like South America or in Europe, Uh, such as um, in, 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 German archives. I looked at some of the Adveniat documents, a German organization that becomes very engaged across Latin America uh, in the context of the 1960s, sort of as an effort to make sense of the ways in which Christian democracy is coming to an end and new movements are emerging within the broader Catholic world. And Germany gets involved vis-a-vis at Venet, uh, to sort of uh, to articulate a space, right, in this broader Cold War context a third way alternative, somewhere between the U.S. and the Soviet Union, right? Within the Catholic context of Christian democracy. So, you know, I found these documents everywhere in in, in Louvain, in Belgium, uh, that specifically look at uh, the international organizations affiliated to film, for instance. So journals, um, you know, I interview a bunch of people, uh, famous people, but also not so famous people. Um, you know, the, uh, uh, unfortunately, some of these figures have have passed away, but they were instrumental in in kind of, for me at least, you know, in having a better understanding of these various Catholic movements. And some of these people who have passed away include uh, the, the Jesuit priest Jesus Garcia, who probably gave me the best history uh, or the best descriptions of. Mexican history from a Catholic perspective. My conversations with him were lengthy and and very, very uh, instrumental. But also people like Manuel Velázquez, right, from the Secretario Social Mexicano, or the Dominican priest who eventually becomes a leader of of the human rights movement, Miguel Concha. So those are kind of the famous figures, or, or even... Someone like Gustavo Gutierrez, who used to teach here at Notre Dame, and I had the honor and I was very humbled just by kind of talking to him. And he gave me a really good understanding of or description of the various ways in which Catholic movements across the Americas came together with similar questions, but also with 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 distinct stories uh, divided by by versions of nationalism. So these are kind of like the famous figure, but others less famous figures uh, include, among many, people like Jorge Bermeo, who was a very interesting uh, student activist of the 1950s, who became friends with someone like Diego Zavala, el suegro of Felipe (laughs) Carderón, You know, so these people that who were operating within Catholic action, but also in the context of the pan, a pan that that um, experienced generational changes, right? Uh, with this youth that I talked about uh, and I interviewed, uh, but then there was others like Rafael Regadas, who was a, a priest and left the priesthood, and, and he was one who was um, tortured by the Mexican authorities. He was one who became active in the uh, Sacerdotes para el Pueblo, uh, among other movements. So I I, I interviewed a broad range of of people uh, that allowed me to kind of get at the multiple Catholic movements that operated not only with the political world, but also with the uh, countercultural world. So for the countercultural world, I found that space, for instance, among the dominicans the spanish and french dominicans who created new spaces inside the unam campus such as the cook the centro universitario cultural which in a in a revolutionary country like mexico a secular country like mexico you couldn't have a university parish inside the unam campus and therefore the Dominicans were very savvy at sort of creating and presenting this as a cultural center. But the center had a parish, and what's also very interesting about the center is that uh, it created a space for film, like European films that were exhibited, that were discussed in the uh, the spirit of, of dialogue, that emerges from the second Vatican II, dialogue with the modern world. So you have a lot of European films that are addressing kind of new expressions of Catholicism in this new humanist language, this new aesthetic of existentialism, questions related to sexuality, questions related to gender, and questions related to the rise of the counterculture or la onda in mexico that talk about the family that talked about amor libre or or or, or free love and um, and so in that sense i also interview someone like uh the fascinating bohemian or hippie priest enrique marroquin who is going to write in the 1970s what is arguably the most profound and and the most important book on the counterculture in Mexico called La Contracultura Como Protesta who provides the first and most serious attempt to kind of study and analyze the importance of the hippie movement or La Onda in Mexico. But interestingly, he does so from the perspective of a priest, his own, his own perspective. He is one who uh, uh, traveled across Europe uh, as a bohemian priest who welcomes kind of the rock music of the Rolling Stones, who welcomes the Misas de Juventud in Italy and uh, in Rome and things like that, places like that. And and eventually makes his way back to Mexico and becomes active uh, within Mexico's rising hippie movement, such as, so he writes, for instance, in, uh, in in the magazine, Piedra Rodante, Mexico's Rolling Stone, he also kind of uh, engages in the psychedelic aspect of the hippie movement uh, as an effort to kind of find God in his own terms as a Catholic priest. Uh, so, you know, what I try to do is kind of get at those stories. And in addition to the oral interviews, the documents, the magazines and so on, I also looked at and I, I, I watch more than 80 films. I analyze a few of these most representative films. I think films gave me the um, uh, the visual, but also a better understanding of the ways in which various film directors—not not exclusively Catholic, including some who were atheist directors—found the importance of talking about Catholicism, nonetheless. So the films that I study and that I look at. You know, talk about changing perceptions of youth, the so-called rebel without a cause, uh, with attention to gender. They talk about sexuality. They talk about uh, homosexuality. They talk about the pill. They talk about uh, uh, the ideas associated with the Second Vatican Council. All this, but within the national story of Mexican film. Right. So it's a it's it's a series of films that emerge in the 1950s and 60s after the so-called Golden Age of Mexican cinema collapses or comes to an end. And new cinematic movements uh, emerge. And and, and, and the argument that I make is that spaces were also created by these Catholics to uh, not only demonize film as they had done in previous generations and in the past, but rather to to engage in conversations with these films. And they even create a a, a, a film school inside the Ibero American school. They create cine clubs to kind of engage in conversations with some of these films. So the films allowed me to kind of get at this kind of cultural aspect that I that that I pay attention to in the film, in, in the book.
1: What were sort of the cultural waters that uh, Catholics of all kinds were were immersed in in this period? I guess was the. <laughs> um, well, uh, you have organized this book uh, in a pretty helpful and readable way. I think Jaime and you've got three major parts to it: an introductory part, uh, what you call a political part, and the part focused on the counterculture. Um, in the first part, you know, you, and you mentioned this a couple of times in the book, the renewed moral authority of the middle class that, um, seems to have emerged in Mexico in the post-war period and beyond. Could you say a little more about that? What, what was this renewed moral authority of the middle class and where did it come from? And
2: yeah. Yeah. Yes. Thank you. Of course. So, you know, I mean, as we know, post-1940 Mexico history is a history of urbanization, right? It's a history of secularization, right? It's a history of the rise of the middle class with new habits of consumption, right? It's a, it's a history of the, the Americanization of Mexican culture, is a history of Mexico becoming more more cosmopolitan, right? And I think again, it is a history, however, that that has been almost ex- exclusively told from the perspective of of secular and even leftist historians. So what I try to do is um, get at kind of the different ways in which a, a rising middle class that also identified itself as Catholic in many ways. Kind of made sense of this New Mexico that was emerging, and 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 what I try to I said earlier that the book was reframed multiple times, and I and I and I even thought about writing two books at some point, uh, but I eventually uh, ended up dividing the book, broadly speaking, into three parts, but even more generally into a political and a countercultural part. So basically, the first part of the book is sort of an introduction, if you will, to these two worlds, the political and the, and the, and the cultural. So respectively, these two first chapters get at uh, kind of the 50s, right, as, a, as this moment of this antecedent to the global 60s, if you will, in which, you know, you get at the ways in which these various lay movements... Uh, made sense of this new modern Mexico that was on the rise. So the first chapter, for instance, I I provide a a, sort of an intellectual biography, not an intellectual, but a a sort of a biography of of a very interesting figure, Emma Siegler, from a German-Mexican family who uh, comes also from a very, very conservative network of Catholic action but is uh, fascinated by the new liberal language that emerges with the new encyclical uh, uh, Miranda Prorsus that, that, talks, that, that, that engages Catholics to sort of become more active in dialogue and conversations with the entertainment industry. So she, she, she's shaped by, by these new ideologies that are emerging by the friendship that she develops with a, a, an activist from Cuba and in so doing begins to sort of look at film as an opportunity to engage with the rise of the phenomenon of the youth rebellion without a cause of the 1950s. So again, um, this is just kind of an introduction to what is going to come later on in the 1960s. The second chapter in that sense also uh, freezes the story to the 1950s as a as a again as a precursor to what's coming ahead, but with more specific attention to uh, to male activists who become involved in, in in student movements in the rising context of the Cold War era, because the global 60s, as we know it, sort of happens as a chapter of this broader Cold War story. So that's kind of the first part of the book. Um, The second part of the book looks at the more political aspects of these histories of the 60s, if you will, but with attention to state violence, progressive forms of Catholicism, but also of the radicalization of these late Catholic movements. So I looked at uh, at journalism, uh, at the School of Journalism that I mentioned earlier, I looked at the ways in which various Catholic movements and individuals responded to both the Tlatelolco and the Corpus Christi massacre, but I also looked at the ways in which they responded, shaped, and participated in discussions associated with socialism and the question of armed struggle. Again, all themes that, um, that relate to this cons to this uh, concern of mine of of youth culture state violence and, and and student movements and then on the third part of the book the largest part of the book which includes four chapters chapter six to nine look at the various countercultural movements uh with attention to uh, uh la onda or, or and its relationship to liberation As described in the making of the book that I mentioned earlier by Marroquin, La Contra Cultura como Protesta, so I study kind of the movements that shaped his own understanding of Catholicism and how those how that understanding shaped his writing of that very very influential book. Then
1: Enrique Enrique Marroquin, the groovy priest, and his his hip (laughs) message of God.
2: (laughs) That's That's right. That's right. And I had a, a, a lot of fun, not only writing about that chapter, but, uh, but just engaging in a conversation with him. You know, so I, I take that story and then I expand. I talk about European film, Mexican film, Arunam, in this context of the Dominican University parish that was created there in, uh, with attention to this importance of dialogue, dialogue as an expression of love and therefore the importance of the title. And I, and I can talk about that as well in a minute. Um, but the other chapters look at, sexual, uh, at the sexual liberation of the times, what I'm calling uh, the redemption of, of, of homosexuality as described by some of these Catholic intellectuals, including Vicente Leñero, who, who, who uh, we know very well by his novels and by his books and so on, but we know less of his writings as a film uh, writer. Uh, so I look at the film scripts that he wrote and, 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 and analyze some of these films. I also look at the space that he created within the uh, uh, the, the magazine for women, Claudia, uh, where there's discussions about fashion and what it, what it constitutes to be a, a proper middle-class Mexican woman in this context of modernity, going back to your general question. And I conclude with um, kind of the ways in which Catholics saw need to revisit the the legacy of the Cristero rebellion in in, in this new cinema that emerges in the 1970s. Uh, But I also look at the way in which a more radical expression of La Onda Emerges to talk about Catholicism in films like uh, uh, Alejandro Jodorowsky's *La Montaña Sagrada*, for instance. So this gives you kind of a sense of, of where I take the book, the various directions that I take the book, but also you know the the um, the different movements that I hope to kind of illustrate that made up this various various Catholic worlds.
1: You mentioned la onda uh for our listeners who are unaware, how would you define that um uh, and I mean it's sort of the counterculture uh from Mexico and from Latin America more broadly um so tell us what La onda is, and then how does that concept of love uh you know work at the intersections of liberationist movements and the counterculture in Mexico, because that seems to be what you're saying uh, brings those threads together.
2: Yes. Thank you. Um, Well, let let me, let me start by answering kind of the the, the, the second part of the question. So one way in which I understand the sixties, the global sixties is this world that is polarized by these tensions On the one hand, you have this kind of utopian aspirations of change. And what I found in the movements that I study is that they often describe themselves in the name of love. Right. So this love as a catalyst of change. Uh, You know, the
1: the revolution is about love.
2: People like Che Guevara uh, spoke about love. But, you know, people like Freire, Paulo Freire, uh, uh, Elder Camara, Uh, Gustavo Gutierrez, but also John Lennon and many, many others sort of, uh, you know, expressed the importance of love in the creation, in the utopian creation of a better world. But when this utopia did not emerge in the aspirations of the 1960s, the, the people that I look at begin to talk about an increasing sense of despair and therefore the title, right, Love and Despair. And despair came in numerous expressions, right? In the form of disillusionment, in the form of um, uh, political repression, in the commercialization of the countercultural movement, or again, the way in which it is framed and understood in Mexico is understood as La Onda. And of course, uh, uh, historian Eric Solov has written extensively about kind of the significance and also the rise of the of La Onda, which was a way of redefining the nation, if you will, but from a cultural perspective, right, a youthful perspective that begins to look at the aesthetics of uh, rock music, the language of rock music but also the new ideas associated with existentialism, bohemian behaviors ac- emerging from across the world to redefine what it means to, to understand the nation. And, and in Mexico, La Onda became kind of a short phrase to make sense of the various movements that made up the broader countercultural movement, not only in relation to the nation, but also in relation to new and changing understandings of, of sexuality, fashion, uh, ideology, in broader terms, uh, the concept of liberation, for instance, the concept of liberation was at the at the center of this polarizing tendencies between love and despair. And of course, liberation uh, is not only a political term as the new left understood it at the time. And as we as historians of the global 60s now sort of reflect back on this, liberation was not only political, but it was also uh, an idea that was uh, spiritual. I mean, therefore, right, liberation theology. Uh, It was also sexual, right, that's right sexual liberation, right? Uh, aesthetic, artistic, and cinematic. There's, there's all these kind of multiple revolutions that are taking place in this context of the global 60s that would uh, make up what we now call the new left, right? This, to use again Solov but also Van Gogh's, the new left as a movement of movements. And as a historian of the global 60s, I'm saying, yes, the political matters, the, the cultural matters, but what I'm also adding and saying, well, the spiritual and the religious matter. And someone like Marroquin and others, you know, understood that very well. So I write about them, right? And, and, and I talk about how someone like this, this, this groovy priest <laughs> kind of uh, talked about um, uh, liberation. So for instance, in his homilies, he, he talked about the Beatles and uh, he talked about he he engaged in dialogue with lyrics from from the Beatles and, 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 and specifically with John Lennon. <laughs> uh, and, 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 and so, you know, he's uh, again with this dialogue with the secular world. Right. The importance of that. He founded in this Misas de Juventud, this sort of a uh, and, and this was not unique to Mexico. This happens in Italy, across Europe, across Latin America, in which, for instance, as an effort to engage in dialogue with, with, with uh, the youth, uh, priests uh, uh, across the world begin to incorporate rock music uh, in, you know, in, their, in, in their Sunday mass, for instance. And in the case of Mexico, this had happened earlier with in places like Cuernavaca with someone like uh, Sergio Mendez Arceo, the bishop, Begins to incorporate mariachi music, for instance, in the in the Sunday mass. So you know what this hippie uh, priest and others begin to articulate for is uh, a better understanding of the multiple movements that are that are shaping this generation of of this of 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 the era, right? That that is that is questioning. Uh, the status quo in his in his broader term in his in, in his broader term of the world right I mean in the sense of uh, a status quo that is uh, political cultural and religious and so on and so forth
1: and what about the despair on the other in that kind of dialectic in the book I mean it's in some parts you note the despair of conservatives and reactionaries at the seeming uh <laughs> proliferation of this counterculture and the things that worry them um but it also seems that the counterculture was uh and and the left too in Mexico in this period was uh still just that you know counter culture and uh you know not hegemonic so <laughs> what about the despair and the falling short? um not to end on a down note but of, of of the left and counterculture groups and movements in this period and, and you know maybe just to add to that Jaime and this is another book but uh and the enduring legacy of of those movements and their sure. um falling short
2: sure sure no absolutely so yes I um uh, you know it's not it's not a neat story in the sense that everything is love and all of a sudden things take the turn of despair right i think that what i try to argue in the book is that this, these are always kind of there these are always present so there's moments of despair right so the Tlatelolco massacre is one of these moments of despair and in the catholic world Another kind of key moment of despair is actually the Corpus Christi Massacre. This is the moment in which progressive Catholic leaders of the 1960s that had, a, that had taken a pacifist approach, for instance, now see no other option but to pick up arms and engage in armed struggle right? They see it as a, as, a, as, a, as a world in despair that requires more radical solutions, right? So that's an example of despair. But you can also talk about despair uh, in relation to, to, to state repression, right? A state that was very authoritarian, right? Uh, that, uh, that did not welcome kind of the, the radicalism of student activists and did not welcome the radicalism that emerges from the counterculture. Another kind of example of despair might be the way in which the conservative movements made sense of the 60s, whereas, again, in very general terms, leftist movements initially saw the 60s as this moment ripe for radical change oftentimes framed in utopian and utopian language of love. The, the, those on the far right, if you will, and again, these this categories are, uh, could be confusing and problematic, but I'm using them for the sake of argument here. Um, you know, those on the right would see the 60s not as, a, as this, this utopian moment of, of change, but rather as a moment of uh, chaos, anarchy, moral disarray as a, as a moment of despair but it is one that nonetheless emboldens those on the right so whereas the bulk of the book tends to pay attention to the progressive movements that emerge from the catholic world i also allude to and reference some of these more reactionary movements Uh, 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 and and place them in this context of despair as they understood it. So uh, whereas both love has multiple meanings as a catalyst of change in this context of the 1960s, Soto's despair is what I'm saying. And again, uh, 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 the tension of this polarization of ideas, if you will, is this concept of liberation as 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 I talked about earlier. So in terms of like the legacy and what changes, what doesn't change, I mean, this is a a, a loaded question, right? But I think uh, what I argue in the book ultimately is um, if, you know, if Mexico does not become, for instance, more democratic per se, it doesn't mean that the political efforts are to be diminished, right? There was an effort to create a better world. And I talk about that effort, the obstacles that these movements faced, but the reality is that Mexico does not become more democratic. It does it does not end uh, uh, exploitation, poverty, all these big concerns of these movements. What does change, however, and this is kind of the argument that I make in the book, is a, is kind of the cultural, the cultural aspects of the '60s. There is a big revolution that redefines the body, questions related to sexuality, uh, uh, questions related to the family. And this is why the films that I analyze in the book allowed me to some extent to make these arguments. You know, Whereas you see, for instance, the films of the 1950s, you see a very specific traditional Mexico, right? But if you look at the films, for instance, of the mid 1970s, you know, towards the end of the global 60s, it's a different Mexico. It's a secular, modern Mexico that uh, that is no longer censoring uh, questions related to sexuality. It is no longer a taboo as it was to talk about uh, homosexuality, for instance. So 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 things change but where you see most of the change or the legacy of the 60s, if you want to frame it in those terms, is in the cultural realm of things.
1: Well, Jaime Pensado, tell us, if you would, quickly, uh, what's next on the horizon for you in terms of research and, well, ultimately, for our listeners and readers, future books?
2: Yeah, yeah, thank you. Um, Well... I'm taking a break, <laughs> uh, teaching, but I'm also just kind of thinking of ideas, right? That I want to write about. And, and, and of course, there's always so many ideas and this is what got me into trouble with this book <laughs> to some extent. But one of the big ideas that I have emerges from this, from love and despair. And, 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 and it has to do with the fun that I had while analyzing many of the films. Uh, it's something that I really, really enjoyed, uh, while doing, while writing this book. And this is something that I want to continue in a future book project, uh, but not only strictly related to Mexico. I, I think I want to have a better understanding of the significance impact legacies of the global sixties vis-a-vis film. There's a very good scholarship on, on, on the sixties films, um, but I want to take a closer look at youth as a space, youth as an idea, as 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 perceived, as talked about in in some of the most iconic films of the era. So again, this is very vague, but this is something that I'm that I'm thinking about right now, as I teach, as I begin to kind of think about the next project.
1: Hi, May Pensado. We appreciate your time today. Thank you so much. The book, everyone, get your hands on it. It is Love and Despair, How Catholic Activism Shaped Politics and the Counterculture in Modern Mexico, University of California Press, just out in 2023. Thanks for joining us on this episode of New Books in Latin American Studies.